Welcome to the Well Community Jokes. Psalm 139. Wow. I guess they really wanted you to look up Psalm 139. So either if your Bibles or your Bible app, Psalm 139, and while you're looking that up, I want to just give you this little humorous story that I found in Reader's Digest one time. There was this 18-year-old daughter who, uh, who left home to attend university in Winnipeg, and on one of her many regular phone calls back home, she announced to her father that she had a new boyfriend who was 10 years older than her. He was, she was, tw- he was 28. And so dad goes, you know, like dads would go, 28, he goes. And, and she says, oh, don't worry, dad. He's really very immature for his age. You know, um, words that every father is just, just dying to hear, right, when their daughter has a boyfriend. But anyway, if you remember last week, we, we began this, this series entitled Waking the Sleeping Giant, the Sleeping Giant sometimes being the church. And so this is a series that when we really think about it and meditate on it, it has a lot to do with developing a greater maturity in Christ. Because it's, it's a series that's meant to, to challenge Christ followers, to challenge the church, to allow God to awaken in us a, a greater passion to serve others in, in a godly way. And, and as you heard last week, we're going to be using um, four different illustrations or object lessons throughout this four-week series and just giving you a different picture of what the church looks like when we allow God to awaken something in us. And last Sunday, we, we talked about God uh, awakening our call. And we answered the question, so, so what does the call to serve actually look like? And we discovered that, that this call is actually a command to develop a sacrificial mentality. A sacrificial mentality that involves two things. One, a, a, new, a new mindset where we look at um, life from God's perspective rather than our own or from the world's. And, and two, developing a new lifestyle that incorporates an attitude of interdependence with rather than independence from one another. And that's true maturity in Christ. We also discovered that that when we allow God to build this sacrificial mentality in us, that we actually look like this wicker basket. Because this wicker basket has all of these reeds, these individual reeds that have uh, been woven together, have been interconnected, There's all different sizes. Some are are weaker than others. Others are stronger than others. But they all have a purpose. And some are different colors. And so um, this is what the church looks like when it's using a sacrificial mentality and an interdependent lifestyle to to work together. But but when we're not doing that, we're like these individual reeds. And if you look at these individual reeds, they're, they're pretty weak. I could easily snap one of these with two fingers. And, and also, when you consider how they can be used, they're, they're kind of useless, right? But when you're like this, then, then we're a church that is really uh, serving one another and serving others with this sacrificial interdependent mentality. This morning, we want to talk about God awakening us, our shape, which is going to answer the question, how do we serve? 
And by the way, I, I don't know if you realize this, but, but you can find out an awful lot about others when you discover how they've been shaped for God's purposes. And I'm going to be sharing a little bit with you about my family. So anyway, let's discover how, how God has shaped us. In his book, The Purpose Driven Church, Rick Warren says this, you are shaped for significance. And then he says this, God began shaping you before you were born. And where did he get that? Well, he actually got that from Psalm 139, which I asked you to look up. And there we read these words. The psalmist says, God, you made all the delicate inner parts of my body and you knit me together in my mother's womb. Thank you for making me so wonderfully complex. Your, your workmanship is marvelous and how well I know it. You watched me as I was being formed in utter seclusion, as I was woven together in the dark of the womb. You saw me before I was born. Every day of my life was recorded in your book. Every moment was laid out before a single day had passed. And then we find in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10, these words. For we are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus. Why? So that we can do the good things he planned for us long ago. You see, according to the Bible, we are each created or designed by God to serve him and others in a unique way. We each have what others have called a, a unique servant profile, or the way Rick Warren says it, he says we have this unique shape, and, and um, the journey to discover all of that can be a, a great and wonderful experience. And over the years, God has, has taken me on this, this wonderful journey to discover or fine-tune my shape, the way in which He has designed me to walk with Him and, and live life for Him, uh, which is why I just love what I do. Unfortunately, though, not, not all of us, as Christ followers, are, are using our, our shape for the church family or for the community. And, and just let, let me illustrate and demonstrate this in, in a way in which I'm talking about. So give me a second here, right? Just talk amongst yourselves for just one second. Now, the way we do that is, is sometimes we try to change our shape, Right? Actually, I don't think it's that funny, but anyway. So we try to change our shape, right? We don't, uh, we want to be like someone else because we don't like the way we think God has made us. And um, rather than being that unique person that God wants us to be, man, I haven't had hair in my face for a long time. But rather than being the unique person that God has made us to be, we, we sometimes want to be somebody else, right? Other times, though, we, we kind of, Hoard our shape. By that I mean, you know, all of our abilities, our experiences, our giftedness, we kind of keep it to ourselves rather than sharing it with others. And still others of us, we, we don't know what, what, what our shape is. And as a result, we don't know where or, or how to serve God effectively. Or, or perhaps we're involved in areas that, that simply don't reflect our shape. And, and when we do all of those kind of things, you know, we, we really end up feeling like a square peg in a round hole or a square box in a round hole. 
which leaves us wondering, you know, what, what, why am I not feeling fulfilled? What, why am I not feeling energized? That, that's what happened to me years ago leading up to my burnout and chronic fatigue. When I was able to, you know, figure out some of the reasons for it happening, I discovered that one of the things was this, that 75% of what I was doing as a pastor had little or nothing to do with the strengths and the passions that God had given me, my interests, even my personal style. And by that, I mean how I best relate to people and tasks. And so in the end, I discovered that was just a, a recipe for disaster. So the point I'm trying to make is this. God, God has created and is creating each of us with this unique shape. And when we become a Christ follower, when you know, he wants to use that shape to serve him and others in the spheres of influence that he has placed us, whether it's our church family, our community, uh, at work, at school, in our family, wherever. And in the process, he wants us to discover this tremendous sense of purpose and fulfillment, a sense of excitement and energy that we could never, ever find in anything else. And so what we want to do is this. Using the word shape as an acronym, we, we want to look at how to determine the way in which God shapes us. It's like this five-piece puzzle. We're going to start with the um, E and end with the S. Now, by the way, you need to know that Rick Warren spends a lot of time talking about this shape puzzle in his two books, The Purpose Driven Life and The Purpose Driven Church. And so it is one of the resources, a major resource that I used for this particular sermon. But if you want, follow along on the screen behind me or there's a paper outline on your chairs if you like that kind of stuff and you can follow along that way. Now the first piece of the puzzle is, um, that we want to consider in our shape is our experience. And, and that includes both, the, both our, our good and, and bad experiences. Because they, they both shape us to a certain extent. Now, the key is this. The key is that we need to allow God into all of those experiences, whether they're good or bad, just to allow him to use those experiences to shape our lives for his purposes. Because, you see, to God, there is no such thing as, as a wasted moment or a wasted experience, no matter how tragic or debilitating it might be for instance a verse that many of you probably know in Romans 8 28 says and we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him who have been called according to his purpose so that means that God can use any experience for his good to shape us for his purposes and I don't know about you but man I, I've experienced that big time sometimes in fact um I don't know about you, but, but um, for me, God has often used some of my most painful experiences to both strengthen me and then help me to serve others more effectively and with more passion in my heart. I mean, there's just, there's just something about a lousy experience that allows you to connect with others going through pain in a way that no other experience can accomplish. For example... In the early 80s, my, uh, my family, so my, my mom, who was a widow by this time, had been a widow for two years, my, my, uh, my family was forced to close down the family businesses when the interest rates rose to 
And um, I felt like a failure. I felt like I had let my mom down. I'd let my wife down. I'd let my kids down. And in the end, I, I discovered that, that I had inappropriately tied who I was, my success as a human being, to what I did, my, my job. And I needed to allow God to change that way of thinking. And that was kind of a struggle that I, I had with God. But once, once he straightened me out, God, God was able to point out to me who I really was in his eyes. That first and foremost, I was a person created or made in his image. I discovered that he, he wasn't so concerned with what I did for a living as opposed to who I was, how my relationship with God and others was going, how I was actually living out the kind of life that he was calling me to. That's how he defined success, which I hadn't up until that moment. But, but here's the thing that I'm getting at. It's, it's those kinds of lousy experiences that God wants to use and has used to help others. For example, when I was in seminary in Regina, which was three, three years after losing the businesses, Ron and I, our two young boys, were, were living in a low-income housing area. It was for students. It was for single parents, new Canadians, and people who were dealing with financial difficulties in their life. Anyway, a, a couple with a young boy moved uh, in next door. And one day, I, I just heard this incredibly loud argument coming from outside their townhouse. I mean, they're right next door to us. And I looked out, and I saw the mother and, and a little boy about 10 years of age just quickly climbing into a cab. And I, as I looked at their faces, there was this look of concern and fear on, on both of their faces because there was the husband. He was standing at the doorstep, and he was just shouting at him, at them. He was just livid with anger. He had totally lost control. And as the cab drove away, he turned around, and he stormed back into the house, just slammed the door. Part of me didn't want to do anything at that moment, but I sensed a still small voice saying, go knock on his door. <laughs> so I rang the doorbell, and thankfully he let me in, and, and we sat at the kitchen table, and he just we started talking. And during the course of our conversation, he said to me, you know what, we, we've just lost our business. And, and he was just distraught. He was just totally beside himself with, this, this sense of loss, and he was beginning to contemplate taking his own life. And so I took care of that first, and we made a verbal contract with one another. Should he ever feel that again, he'd call me, right? And then I was able to share with him my own experience, how we just lost our businesses a few years ago, and, and, and how, I'd, you know, how God had taught me something through that, and how he had walked with me through that. And that started a bit of a friendship, and his thoughts of suicide you know, dissipated, and, and he was restored to his family, right? I don't know what he did spiritually because we weren't there that much longer and, and moved away, and, but, but I've always thought of him, and I've, I've thought, I hope that man and his family come to know Jesus. But that reminds me of a verse in the Bible that, that is so powerful. It comes from 2 Corinthians, and it says, God comforts us in all our troubles, and the implication is why, well, in part, so that we can comfort others. 
When others are troubled, we will be able to give them the same comfort that God has given us. So there you have it. See, God can use our experiences, even the lousy ones, to help others. And that's the first piece of this puzzle in discovering our shape. A second piece, however, includes our unique personality. So I got a little, uh, we're going to do a little short pop quiz here. It's one question, right? How many of you like ice cream? How many of you don't like ice cream? Okay, this isn't for you then. You can just tune out for a minute or so, Steve, and, and, and I'll just... So now, what I want you to do is I just want you to shout out your favorite ice cream flavor. Shout it out. Okay, so you definitely have one, don't you? Mine is maple walnut. I know, some of you are thinking. I know, some of you are thinking that suits you. You're a bit of a nutcase, Gene, so that suits you perfectly. But anyway, here's what I'm getting at. Like, like ice cream, each of us is this wondrous and unique flavor when it comes to our personality. I mean, we're not all vanilla. We're, we're not all lemon or chocolate or cookies and cream or maple walnut. Or what was somebody else's favorite? Pardon me? Oh, I don't like mint. But, oh, you go for it, yeah. <laughs> mint chocolate chip, go for it, yeah. So we're not all these flavors. In, you know, we're not all each one of these flavors. We're, when it comes to our personality, um, we're each this, this combination of wondrous and exotic personality flavors. We're created and molded by God to be this, this pleasant taste in the hearts and minds of others through the personality God has given us. So that's one analogy. Ice cream flavors. I came upon another one. Someone else described our unique, our unique personality by looking at our DNA molecules. Now catch this. He says that DNA molecules can unite in an infinite number of ways. The number is 10 to the 2 billionth, 400 millionth power. That's the, that's the, the number that is the likelihood that you'd ever find somebody just like you. Now, if you're wondering, you know, how big is that probability? Here's, here, catch this. If you were to write out that number with each zero being 2.5 centimeters wide, you would need a strip of paper 37,000 miles long, which is enough paper to cover, you know, to go around the earth one and a half times. Think about that. That's how unique we are. And I would suggest to you that we are unique as well when it comes to our personality. Whether we're more people or task-oriented, whether we're more of an introvert or, a, or an extrovert, or whether we're more of a, a thinker and a meditator, or more of a talker and a teller, or a little bit of both. Bottom line is this. We, we are energized when we're involved in ways, in, in kingdom stuff, that, that, that fits our personality or our personal style. And by personal style, I, I mean the way in which we interact with people and tasks. And by the way, the, the network um, workshop that we're talking about for November 15th and 16th, we're going to unpack our personality style during that time. And, and there's more information on the back table if you want to sign up, you know, if, you know, feel free to do that. Now, b- before we move on and, and go on to the next part in, in this shape um, an acronym that we're using, I need to caution you 
with a couple of things regarding our personalities. You see, there is a danger that we can misuse our personality. And, and we can do that by, inexcus- you know, by, by um, excusing our um, inappropriate behavior. Saying things like, well, you know, that's just me being me. Get used to it. And there are times when we need to allow God to change us. In addition, we also sometimes miss out on some exciting stuff when when we refuse to move beyond the comfort zones of our personality or personal style. For instance, I I am more task-oriented than I am people-oriented. But I have learned over time, and I've made a conscious decision of this, that when I am working on a task with people-oriented people, I know that generally they want to get to know me a little bit better before we actually start the task. Whereas I would like to get going on the task, and as we're doing that, I'll get to know you, right? But so sometimes we just have to change our thinking a little bit and, and allow God to do that in us. I have another example for you. Uh, I don't know, I probably have told this to a few of you, but I, I used to be the kind of person that, now in, keep in mind, in our family, we were a very huggy family and all that kind of stuff, so I had no problem with that. But when we're out in public and, and stuff like that, I used to have this space barrier that I didn't want invaded, and it was about the length of my arm, right? If anybody came within that space, I felt a little uncomfortable. And when I was in my 20s, I was, uh, I was the youth leader in our church, and we had you know, this youth group that was made up largely of girls. And girls always seemed to want to invade my space after the service, right? And invariably after service, I'd have five of them around me, and they have, they have come within this space, right? And so I would just naturally back up. But no, they just kept coming, right? And I would just keep backing until I hit a wall, and then there was no other place for me to go, right? And, and, and so... I'm at seminary, and, and we're taking a psychology class, and we're supposed to split up in triads, and we're supposed to share some of our in, you know, idiosyncrasies and stuff like that, and I happen to share this with the other two, which I came to regret. Um, but I shared it, and one guy says to me, Gene, here's what I'm going to do. Every time I see you at seminary, I'm going to come up to you, put my arm around you, say, ask you how you're doing. And inside, I'm going, oh, stupid, stupid Gene, why did you ever say this, Right? But I said, you know, it's a class. We're supposed to be learning, right? So I said, yeah, okay, okay, okay. And next day, and by the way, Neil and I are in the same program, so we're going to see each other a ton, right? It's not like I can escape him. You know what I mean? Anyway, next day, there's Neil saying, Gene, Gene. And I see him coming and going, oh, here we go, here we go, right? Puts his arm around me. He says, Gene, how you doing? I'd be a lot better if you weren't invading my space, but no, I'm okay, I'm okay. Now, a month into that, he does the same thing, and all of a sudden he says, Gene, did you notice something? I said, what? He says, today's the first day you didn't flinch. I said, oh, really? Yeah. And I said, well, what do you know? And here's the thing. By the end of that semester, I was going up to Neil, putting my arm around Neil and saying, how are you doing, Neil? But here's the whole point of the story. You see, little did I know that God was preparing me Because the first church I ever was a pastor in was the huggiest church in North America. (laughs) No kidding. They were lined up after the service. There was the door. They were lined back 20 deep waiting to get a hug from their pastor. 
And those that couldn't wait came to the other door where I was, and I had to give everybody a hug, right? And I was prepared to do that by that time, and so it all went okay. But isn't it great the way God just uses sometimes, he wants to change something within our personal personality or personal style to prepare us for something down the road. I just thought that was a great lesson from God. Okay, the third piece in the puzzle of awakening our shape revolves around our, our natural abilities. You know, just God-given skills that we're either born with or develop at some point in our lives. Things that we just naturally end up having an aptitude for or, or a knack for. For instance, you know, some of us just had this natural ability to work with our hands with carpentry and mechanical stuff and technical stuff and others have a knack for gardening or, or physical and athletic prowess and still others have an aptitude for music or theater or math or the sciences or computers and, and on and on we could go, right? We all have these natural abilities. Now take my youngest son, Regan. There's a couple of pictures of him there. Um, he had this tremendous sense of direction from a very, very young age, very observant about how we arrived at a destination, which also meant you had to watch him like a hawk because, you know, at two years of age, he'd be down the street around the corner visiting a friend before you just had a chance to snap your fingers, right? And then he's like saying to you, well, I know where I was going, so what are you worried about, mom and dad, right? And then he also virtually came out of the womb talking. I mean, he just, unbelievable ability to start talking so quickly, right? So just natural abilities that my younger son had. So we're all born with that, right? However... Sometimes our, our abilities, some of them at least, remain dormant for a while. Or they might come to the forefront later, or we learn them. So, for instance, my eldest son, Randy, he didn't want to say much at all until he was two and a half to three years of age, right? Just in that, he just, no, I don't have any reason to speak, right? And then all of a sudden, he started talking in full sentences. And the first sentence he ever spoke came about this way. He was staying at, at Rona's parents while both of us were at work, and he's taking a bath, and, and Rona's dad is watching him from his living room chair because it's not too far away, so he's watching him closely. And then Randy stands up in the tub, and, and, and Rona's dad says, Randy, you better be careful. Sit down. And here was my son's first sentence. Don't worry about me, Grandpa. I can take care of myself, Right? <laughs> And you know what? This kid who didn't like to talk much, he went on to have this natural ability when it comes to philosophy and, and, and the ability to defend his beliefs very, very naturally and has done it on many occasions. He also didn't like holding a pencil until he was forced to when he hit kindergarten age. As far as I'm concerned, he still doesn't hold it properly. But you know what? Um, now he's an artist. Drawing comes natural to him. It just comes absolutely natural to him. So each one of us has these countless abilities, some of which we don't even know we have yet, others of which we will come to learn. In fact, some studies have revealed that the average person possesses 500 to 700 different skills and abilities, far more than we would ever realize. And part of a church's responsibility is to identify, encourage, empower, and release those abilities for serving God and others. So that's the third part of the puzzle. Here's the fourth. Awakening in us the unique passions of our heart. 
the things we're passionate about, the things that motivate us, our, our desires, our, our interests, the things that we're excited about, things we dream about, both inside and outside the church context. And let's face it, we all have things that touch our heart deeply and other things that don't. Just different interests, different passions, and so on. And what we really need to do is we need to come to grips with those things that God has made us passionate about and get involved, and catch this word, primarily in those areas. Because God wants to use our, our God-given passions and interests just to make known to others the person and the message of Jesus Christ. Now, this, this heart stuff, this, this passion stuff, could, in, could involve the, the kinds of people that, that we're drawn to help. There could be any number of types of people that we're passionate about helping. It could be children, it could be youth, it could be young adults, millennials, you know, baby boomers, seniors, single parents, kids from dysfunctional families, new Canadians, and, and, and the list could go on and on. But just a different kind of people that stirs our hearts. And, and you might have a completely different one than you or you and you, right? Or these passions or heart issues revolve around kind of interests that we might have, like sports or hobbies or cards or fishing or science or computers or, or coaching, right? And then, in addition, our passions could also revolve around, you know, causes um, or important issues, things like poverty or human trafficking or hunger or homelessness, the environment, community issues, moral issues, there are just many causes and issues out there. And, and if we're all honest, some tug our hearts far more than others do. And what I'm suggesting to you is that primarily, we need to get involved in those causes that strike at the deepest core of our hearts because the chances are is that God has given us that passion. Now, I will say, that there are times when we need to move out of that kind of area. And, then, and we have to allow God to stir in our hearts um, areas maybe that we've never considered before for the sake of a friend who is really interested in something. And so temporarily, we get on board with him for something. Or if we know that our church is doing something collectively, then we gather together and we say, yeah, we're committed to this as a church. Right? Anyway, the point I'm trying to make is this. When we're willing to serve others in areas that primarily reflect our passions and, and things that, that just stir our heart, it will energize us. We will feel fulfilled. Whether it be your job, your community involvement, uh, other interests, uh, things revolving around the church family, to stay enthusiastic, to stay effective, to do your best, to stay for the long haul, we need to be passionate about something. We need our hearts to be involved. I mean, I love what I do. I absolutely love it. I just feel like a round peg in a round hole. Now, you, you may not have the luxury about being passionate about your job. But you know what? God can use your passions um, in other ways. And he could even use them within the context of your job that you're just not aware of right now. So that's the fourth piece of the puzzle. Here's the last one. And it's all the unique spiritual giftedness 
that we've been given. The Bible's very clear that, that once we become Christians, God's Spirit will give us at least one gift. Now, now what is a spiritual gift? Well, here's a definition I came upon. It come, in fact, it comes from the network course that we're going to be looking in our, in, in our workshop. Here's what it says. Spiritual gifts are special abilities, divine endowments, given to believers by God for spiritual purposes so that we might make a unique contribution both in the church and on behalf of the church. In 1 Corinthians 12, we read these words. A spiritual gift is given to each of us as a means of helping the entire church. It is the one and only Holy Spirit who distributes these gifts. He alone decides which gift each person person should have. And then in 1 Peter 4, it reads this way. God has given gifts to each of you from his great variety of spiritual gifts. So manage them well so that God's generosity can just flow through you. Now, some of you might be asking, well, what are these gifts? Well, there are a number of Bible passages that, that speak to the gifts that, that God might endow us with through his Holy Spirit. And I've included those in, in your sermon outline that, that's on your chair. And you might want to look those up later. And, and, and we'll be exploring those in, in, in considerable detail uh, during that workshop on November 15th and 16th. Now, just a couple of words of caution about these gift lists that you'll read about when you read about them later. First, I, I don't believe these lists in the Bible are, are, are meant to be an exhaustive list. Because, you know, each list is not identical. So I believe those lists are meant to give us an idea of the kinds of things that God is going to give us through His Holy Spirit. And I've discovered that there are times, many times, when, when they even complement our natural ability. The thing is this, we can tell when it's a spiritual gift. We can tell because it's been used in a special way for God with the spiritual empowerment from God to go along with it. I, others have told me that, that I've, I've, I've got some abilities in teaching and leadership and stuff, and I can just tell you, I, I can't explain it, but when I'm given an opportunity to serve others through leadership or to serve others through teaching of some kind, something happens inside me, I just come alive in ways that I don't other ways. Anyway, that's the first caution. The spiritual gift lists in the Bible, you know, probably not an exhaustive list. Here's a second caution. Remember that each of us is purposely not given all the gifts so that we will learn how to work together interdependently, right? So that's a little bit on what the gifts are. And, and that completes the puzzle that we've been looking at, that our shape given from God is each uniquely given by him. And like I said, we'll unpack that more in the, in the workshop. I want to close with this. In 2006, I, I watched Olympic speed skater Claire Hughes win gold in, in the 5,000-meter skating race. 
And as, as I watched her skate, here's what I was thinking. She was made for that race. She, she was clearly a distance skater, not a sprinter. That's where she shone. And I think most of you know that she also suffers from depression, and she uses that struggle as a passion to help others, right? And it's the same way with us in the church. We are each made for something special. In his remarks on on the five ways that God has shaped us for serving others, here's what Rick Warren says. He says, I hope you, you have a deeper appreciation for God's sovereignty and a clearer idea of how he has prepared you for the purpose of serving him. Using your shape is the secret of both fruitfulness and fulfillment in ministry. And he says, the better the fit, the more successful you will be. You see, God wants to awaken in us our our shape, who we are, who he is making us to be. And I would suggest to you that the more of us that he can awaken, the more a, a church will resemble this grass broom. A simple-looking tool, but it can do a lot. Now, here's how I want to use this as a symbol of the church. The handle represents God, our Father, who loves us and um, is at work in our lives, molding us and using us for His purposes. The metal binding here and And this blue little uh, binding represents Jesus Christ, who is the head of the church. And he is the one who binds us together in mind and purpose. He holds us together. This blue cord running throughout all the grasses represents the Holy Spirit, who uh, gives each one of us a gift. And then gives us the power to be able to do what he wants us to do. And then each one of these individual grasses is you and me that looks very fragile until they're all put together. Now, now sometimes we, um, we don't use the way in which God has shaped us to, um, to serve God. And when we do that, we're kind of like these that are just out to the side. And if I was to put this down on the floor, you would discover that these aren't hitting the floor nearly as much as all the rest of them are, right? Other times, we're not using our shape at all. And so then we're out like this and, oh, some of you just left the church, sorry. Uh, we're like this, right? And so we're just, we're just not using our gifts at all. And, and then, then we're, we're even less effective. Now, either way, when we're like this or when we're like this, we um, can often hurt ourselves because we're not in sync with the way God has designed us. And then we can become disillusioned, tired, burned out. And, and sometimes we even hurt those we're called to serve. 
So I'm asking us, let, let's, let's be like this broom, right? With God our Father who loves us, Jesus Christ who holds us all together, who is the head of the church, and the Holy Spirit who gives us a gift and empowers us. Let's pray.